The Production Expert Podcast is brought to you with the kind support of Altoria, Source Elements, and RSPE Audio Solutions. Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast. I'm Mike Thornton, and in this week's edition, we're going to discuss the newly updated audio streaming and on-demand services tech recommendations TD1008 from the AES, which we recently explored on Production Expert. Now, you may be asking, why are we discussing this? Because surely TD1008 is for streaming and on-demand services. Why should content creators and mastering engineers need to take an interest? Surely we can just mix the content and let the streaming services normalize it. Well, to discuss this, I'm joined by Bob Katz and Bob Bryars, two of the authors of the said TD1008 recommendations. Now, Bob Katz has played the B-flat clarinet since the age of 10, and he's been an audio engineer since 1971. He's currently president and mastering engineer at Digital Domain, and Bob is also an AES Life Fellow, having engineered three Grammy-winning albums and numerous nominees. He gives seminars worldwide in English, Spanish, and French. He's author of two books, one of which is perhaps considered to be the Mastering Engineer's Bible. And he also, I didn't know this, he also holds a U.S. patent on his ambience extraction invention, which has been licensed to Wise Engineering, Z Systems, and UAD. In his spare time, Bob is a columnist and has written numerous audio-related articles, reviews, and not one or two AES papers. Welcome, Bob. Hi. Okay, moving on to Rob Byers. Now, he's an audio engineer, field recordist, and mixer who loves working in audio. Amen to that. Uh, His time in broadcasting has allowed him to work with organizations like NPR. That's the national public radio, isn't it, for the U.S.? For those of us outside of... uh, of, of the US. So so NPR, American Public Media, and the podcast Criminal. He's recorded in environments from well below zero to well above the surface of the earth, nicely put, documented life-changing events like the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, led live international broadcasts from foreign soil, and recorded artists from Lizzo to Yo-Yo Ma. Rob also trains audio journalists and podcasts and has written a number of educational guides for producers of all experience levels. He is now the Director of Broadcast and Media Production at American Public Media. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for having me. So um, it probably comes as no surprise that we're going to be discussing loudness here today and how we can make sure that the content we create, whether it's music tracks or speech or combinations of music and speech, that our content will sound at its best when it's delivered to consumers by one of many streaming and online services out there. So I'm going to start uh, with the first question. So why does loudness matter? And why, as content creators, should we care? Isn't that the job of streaming services? Uh, Bob, I'll ask you first, if I may. Okay. Well, you know, it's not the loudness as much as the quality that counts. A a characteristic that... um, we like to call PLR, peak to loudness ratio. That is not 
an infallible determination of quality, but it is a pretty good indication that the transients are getting through. And if you squash the transients too much, then the quality gets uh, disturbed. Bob, can you just explain what uh, peak-to-loudness ratio actually means for those that may not have come across that term? Okay. We know how to measure loudness nowadays with a <clears throat> an R128 or BS1770 loudness meter. So first we'll measure the integrated loudness. But if that loudness is too close to full scale, or in many cases too close to minus 1 dB true peak, then it means that probably a lot of compression or limiting was applied. And that's an indication that possibly you might start to lose transients, clarity, and that ratio between the highest peak that you hit and your uh, integrated loudness is called the peak to loudness ratio. Great, thank you. So that's that for you is the sort of uh, one of the key factors to, to, to take into consideration. Well, of course, I use my ears. But well met. Point well made. But when I look at a meter and I see that the peak to loudness ratio is going down as I start compressing, I start saying, well, maybe I should be listening more carefully <laughs> and see if maybe I'm over compressing. Rob, what about you? How would you answer this question? Yeah, this is this is a really important question to to go after, and I'm I'm glad you're asking it. Loudness to me is all about consistency, uh, and it's all about the end user or the listener, your audience, and providing them with a consistent experience. Uh, this paper TD1008 covers music, it covers podcasting, uh, it addresses uh, voice assistance on your smart speaker or your or your phone. Um, it addresses ads uh, that are inserted into content. And it's all about giving uh, our audience a consistent experience, regardless of the platform they're on or the kind of content they're listening to. So as a content creator, you know you you want to care about loudness um, within the the piece of work that you're creating. Um, you're mixing a podcast or you're mixing an album. Um, Loudness is, of course, going to going to factor in in many of the ways that Bob was talking about, and um, create an ex in a, a consistent experience within that small little uh, world that you're creating uh, in that piece of content. Um, but it also then is going to go out to the wider to the wider world and have to stack up against all of the other content that's out there. And so TD one thousand eight is trying to do this very enormous task of bringing some consistency to all of that content that's out there and bringing some consistency and a pleasurable listening experience to to the audience. Um, let me jump in and say that uh, Mike asked, isn't that the job of the streaming services? Right. Because, of course, the streaming services do the normalization. But if we as the creators don't have any idea of what the streaming service is going to do to our content then we're not, we need to know what the final product is going to sound like. So we should have an idea of what the streaming service is going to do to our content. Yes, and obviously as, as the, the, the challenge is that some streaming services have different um, 
loudness uh, normalization to others. So again, that can be a, especially those with a perhaps a higher uh, loudness normalization. So say something like minus fourteen LUFS. Um, that peak to loudness ratio that Bob that you were talking about really starts to come into play and again just being aware of that when we're producing content because if you've got a, a content with a, a a provider that's using what say minus 18 LUFS it's not it's not that it well you can just turn it up and push it into a limiter but then exactly those issues of peak to loudness ratios are going to come into play so is there anything that one can bear in mind as, as a creator to sort of try and, I don't know, not future safe, but but make sure that our content is likely to play nicely on all these different platforms? Well, first of all, TD1008 is striving to try and get the different streaming services to conform to a single uh recommendation. I can't say standard because it's not an official no, standard, so indeed. we'll call it a recommendation. And uh, I, you know, the, the services uh, between Spotify, Apple, I don't know about Amazon, but between Spotify, Apple, and Tidal, the services are only at the most, I would think, a couple of dB apart if, if uh, Spotify's default of their middle setting of minus 14 is is followed yeah all that spotify has to do to to get uh to arrive at td 1008 is for uh track normalized music that is individual songs yeah. so to speak or podcasts yeah or uh, normalized to the same loudness to come down to minus 16. So they're about 2 dB hot in that respect. Yeah. But at the same time, the listener doesn't listen to the average. If, if I look at a record album, I, I, my ears go for the loudest song. And that's one of the reasons why <clears throat> we've set up album normalization and uh, put the loudest song at minus 14 luffs with downward only uh, normalization as the recommendation. So if I send in a, a, a minus 15 luffs with a true peak of minus one, uh, Spotify should not raise it. Title should not raise it because it, uh, Apple should not raise it because it would bring the true peak above minus one unless they add peak limiting which we're trying to discourage. Achoria has a wide selection of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps, and three delays you'll actually use. The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, includes Delay Tape 201, Delay Memory Brigade, and the unique and experimental Delay Eternity. A bundle of selected effects called the AudioFuse Creative Suite is included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Visit Autoria.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use. Now, we, we've been talking about, you know, sort of minus 14, 15, 16 LUFS as a sort of uh, where we're currently working. But of course, that's significantly different to other, uh, other systems in the terms of broadcast is working, depending on what part of the world you're in, around minus 24 to minus 23 as are the OTT services. Um, so, and I, and I was pleased to see that the AS recommendations acknowledge that 
that's the target so that we're everything is working to the same loudness now can you perhaps one of you remind remind us why are why are we doing minus 16 15 14 now what's preventing us from actually making everything minus 24 straight away it's the devices still uh there there are still quite a few i i would call them legacy uh, devices uh out there in the world it's it's more than quite a few it's there's so many, many, many devices out there that uh, don't have the gain to deal with content that's down around Neg24. Right. So it's the consumers, certainly to a degree, legacy consumer content. That's right. Hence the objective devices. to to aim to get to 24, but but obviously and effectively, if you like, until that legacy, those legacy products are a relatively small part of the of the equation. That's it's put. And do you think it's like Bob? Do you think it's likely to be a a progressive transition? So we might go down to nine, minus sixteen, minus eighteen, minus twenty, progressively get towards get to the the minus twenty four target. Well, actually, the savior for that issue will be metadata, because uh, I could snap my fingers and say, "Boom, metadata is active." And the consumer might not even detect a difference if it's done properly. So we're not only waiting for the uh, devices to get more headroom and more gain, we're also waiting for them to become metadata compliant. And there's a standard for that, which is called CTA 2075. And it specifies that devices conform with reading metadata. I don't want to get into metadata too much in this podcast, but just just think it could be, if it's implemented correctly, it could be the solution to, to the problem that you're talking about, which is how do you get from minus 16 to minus 24 uh, without having to do it in little stair steps? And I think metadata will solve that. So effectively, the consumer's equipment will read a metadata flag and make the adjustments at the consumer's end to match what that consumer's device is capable of of handling would that be fair yes and if it's if the device is really smart it'll figure out where it was at before metadata and uh, try to bring the, the the target for the device close to that original target and there there's a lot to to, to deal with which is you know headroom if you take a minus 24 <coughs> And you bring it up to minus 18 internally in the device, so you're going to get overload yeah. and all kinds of things like that. Yeah. And if the, if I may, if the device is really, really smart, it could be aware of the environment that it's in. It could dynamically uh, adapt that target to, uh, you know, the loud, the, the the noise of the loud subway train or doing the dishes in the background. Um, and would that you, kind of thing. And would you think that that would also might bring in some dynamic net range reduction or loudness range reduction so that if it's in a noisy environment it reduces the loudness range so that there aren't elements of the of the piece of content which are too quiet to be heard over the background noise I, I think it would have to at that point and of course then you get into all sorts of um, areas of you know what what sounds good what what are opinions around um, around doing that kind of thing to the content, but um, hopefully in that 
in that hypothetical futuristic world, the consumer still has some control over how that metadata um, is applied, how that dynamic range reduction is applied. Um, are they able to turn it off? Uh, is it on by default? Is it off by default? All of those kinds of things uh, will have to be addressed, but that that's a world I'm really excited yeah. about. You know, I, I want to be able to listen to my content um, wherever I am, um, even if I'm doing the dishes, and I want to be able to hear it, understand it. Um, I want it to be intelligible, and uh, that's that's sometimes hard right now. You know, with um, especially in the podcasting world, with uh, production quality um, being um, pretty wide. Right. It can be. It can be. <laughs> uh, it can be really hard to to hear some of that content um, while you're doing other things if you're not focusing just on just on what you're listening to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mike, the devil is in the details, <laughs> and it's going to take yeah. a long time. Yeah. But uh, as the transition happens, uh, we'll adapt. What do you when you say a long time? Are we talking five years, ten years? What do you define as a long time? Because I mean, these days, sometimes a year is a long time in terms of the developments that the speed at which the developments move. But I guess what are we talking about? More like the five years? Probably five. That sounds like a good number, Rob. Yeah, I mean, look, it. Let's see. TD one thousand and four came out in twenty fifteen. That took about a year ish to put together. Yeah. Uh, this document took well over a year, and um, the group that I have to say, the group that worked on this, the editing group, the drafting group, um, we spent many meetings uh, per week for over a year, um, many hours per week for over a year, trying to draft this, get the language right, right, um, and we talked about it much longer than we than we ended up working on it. Um, yeah, I, I would say four or five years, somewhere in that range, um, to come up with another document like this. I mean, we're just emerging here from having created the document and drafted it and released <laughs> it to the world. Now we have to do ad advocacy and uh, bring the rest of the industry along with us. Yeah, um, and that's that's going to take some time. Hmm. Well, uh, as I as I understand it, uh, Spotify has been eagerly awaiting the release of TD one thousand eight because they would like to get on the bandwagon so uh that's very good that to hear that, yeah that's fantastic Definitely. yeah and of course um bob we had at the uh, aes um session that you you uh hosted we had it was one of those moments where we got a number of key people around the industry in the in the virtual room uh and i, I certainly sensed a real uh, a real sort of progress because we had key people all in the room um can you I, see my head nodding <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately on radio no <laughs> um but certainly as as a as an onlooker as a, as, a, as receiving that uh, particular piece of content uh it was really gratifying to hear a what all the different streaming services were doing um and then be the sort of conversations and it was it was also very gratifying to hear the desire for standardization um, mm -hmm. obviously that was understandable from avid who are trying to uh, deliver content to all these different streaming services but we also heard it from some of the other providers didn't we mm -hmm. well, well avid is an aggregator we had three aggregators and three different streaming services represented 
Indeed, inc- obviously including YouTube, which was was very again was great to have uh, to actually hear direct. And so, uh, you know, the, the, we've had a chance to sort of recover from that. How do you how do you feel, both of you? Uh, perhaps we'll start with with uh, Rob. How did you feel that that particular session went? You, you know, I, I attended that uh, very much as an audience member uh, and as a listener, and uh, uh, was not involved at all in the in the coordination of that. Um, and from <laughs> from from my perspective, it was incredibly informative. Um, it was a big moment, uh, I think, for the audio industry, for the music industry, to see representatives from those different services all in one conversation together, and openly talking about their specs, openly talking about um, what they hope to do uh, in the future. Um, and f- frankly, ha- having a real conversation uh, about some of these real finer and important points. Um, it's really nice to hear that they acknowledge many of the uh, concerns that have been expressed over the years uh, from content creators. And I, Bob, hats off to you for for pulling that group together yeah, yeah. Um, and creating a conversation like that. Wow, thank you very much, Bob. Were you uh, did it uh, exceed your expectations? Uh, I'm still high from it, to tell you the truth. <laughs> fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, coming back to uh, TD one thousand and eight. Um, as someone who uh, has been involved in the loudness world, certainly in the broadcast sector, for uh, longer than it is, has been a standard in the broadcast sector, uh, I, I was very curious about this 2LU offset between music and speech because I'd always understood and indeed taught that BS 1770 measures perceived loudness irrespective of the content. I mean, that was the whole point of, you know, in my head was the whole Mm -hmm. point of loudness normalization. And now we appear to have what, if I can perhaps bluntly call a 2LU fudge factor. Can you give us a bit more (laughs) insight into how that came about? I I would like to address that uh, first, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you. Um, You know, Mike, it doesn't really matter whether the error is in the measurement or in the perception or in the preference. I I prefer to to think that it has to do with listeners' personal preference not to hear speech as loud as music. And that's what it has boiled down to. And I, I was in broadcast for many years, and when we did the... Uh, the Metropolitan Opera, and we had VU meters. The VU meter was hardly moving when the host was talking. Well, when the music was going on, the VU meter was pinning, and it sounded just fine. So uh, regardless of whether the meters are accurately uh, determining the loudness, and I believe that it probably is to the perception, our personal preferences are to hear speech at a lower level than music. Rob, haven't you followed that kind of a thing? You've been in the business for a long time. Yeah, well well said, Bob. And you, you know, this, this part of the recommendation came from uh, some, some 
deep research done, uh, and I think we reference a couple different uh, did, yeah, two, papers, two right? papers, yeah. It, right, and, and one of those uh, papers was written by someone who was on the draft committee, Scott Norcross uh, from, from Dolby. So there's research that supports this idea. And much to what Bob is saying, um, just anecdotally, when we rolled out loudness for production at American Public Media, uh, this is probably, uh, I don't know, 2012, 2013, somewhere, somewhere in that range. Um, anecdotally, I was hearing back from staff, uh, from engineers, that they had this preference as well. And that they were noticing this difference in the music programming, and the especially in, in, in classical um, uh, productions that they were working mm. on. And it was really clear then. Uh, I don't mind going on record to say that, hey, look, BS 1770 isn't perfect. Um, and you see a lot of chatter about that on uh, online forums and, and you hear people talking about this. Um, but like Bob said, it, it really doesn't matter where the flaw is. Um, it really comes down to the listener's preference and what our ears are telling us. Yeah. No, I, and, and certainly my experience here in the UK is that when we moved over for television to uh, BS1770 from, from peak normalization prior to that, um, one, of the ch one of the areas that appears to have was challenging uh, our folk most of all was, was like, like what we call light entertainment. So, you know, shows with speech and music. So, um, and that really proved to be a challenge and also for the audience response because you know it almost seems again as though it it's a bit like you described the music that the the audience applause and and response um we expect that to be louder than the than the speech that they are responding to correct and so yeah uh, it's a it's a very interesting and and listening and hearing Hearing you talk about this is certainly making me sort of have another a, another look at this whole area because I was very much adamant and have been that um, integrated loudness is integrated loudness because it's it the thing about that that BS seventeen seventy model is it it is trying as hard as possible to reflect perception not just straight measurement and but and but in, that, and in fact uh, Mike. Integrated loudness is uh, potentially a, a flaw it, in itself as a concept because if you have a song that has large dynamic movement, the ear might react mm -hmm. to the louder passages and perceive that that song is as loud as another song that has that is much more compressed. So it's an approximation. Integrated yes. loudness is an approximation. Yeah, I think we're all agreeing that you say BS 1770, etc., is not perfect, but it certainly, uh, in my experience, has made life a lot easier. But it's not, not absolutely not solved all the problems, but certainly made <laughs> life a lot easier. Absolutely. The Production Expert Podcast is made possible using Source Connect Now from Source Elements, the free way to record high-quality audio over the internet. Need to record an interview or a podcast like this one remotely? With Source Connect Now, you can. Using a Chrome browser, you'll get ISDN equivalent quality audio without the need to install any additional software. Register for your free account at now.source-elements.com. 
Um, I want to circle back to something you referred to earlier, um, Bob, in terms of album normalization. Uh, because we've, you know, with loudness, we've often we kind of got used to what is now described as track normalization, taking the integrated loudness of a single piece of content and making that minus twenty three, minus sixteen, whatever it happens to be, and a different piece of content. Again, we normalize that to the the, the required uh, loudness level, but album normalization takes a different approach. Well, the artist's intent is the purpose of album normalization. If the artist wants to have a song be soft relative to the loud song, then we need to follow the artist's wishes. And it also sounds more natural to the listener. Uh, Elko Grimm's research, and also some of my own research, seems to, uh, my informal research, seems to show that the listeners prefer to hear the songs in an album at the relative levels that they were produced at. Uh, and it may surprise you guys who are listening to this podcast, but track-by-track track normalization is compression. It's dynamic compression. And you might say, what? What do you mean track normalization is compression? If you bring up all the songs in an album so that the soft songs are brought up as loud as the loud song, you're compressing the dynamic range of the album. And that's why track normalization is actually wrong, very wrong. But how do we, I totally get it, if we are, you know, like we used to back in the day, put, put a needle in a groove on a piece of vinyl and listen to an album or stuff a CD in a slot and listen to an entire album as the artist intended it to be. But the reality of streaming services and on-demand services is more often than not, we're now listening to playlists, which are taking individual tracks from different albums. So how does well, album normalization kind of fit into that model? Well, one of the key tenets in TD-1008 is that album normalization is a lot smarter than you might think. Album normalization actually allows you to shuffle songs in a playlist and hear them out of context in a new context that will reflect, for the most part, what the artist's intent would have been if the artist had invented that playlist. It's actually true. Now, there, there are some imperfections, and I can explain them, but... For the most part, album normalization is a form of artificial intelligence. And let me explain. If I take the loudest track of um, a Beatles album and I make it bring it to uh, minus 14, and I take the loudest track of a Sinatra album and I make that be minus 14, and all the rest of the songs on the Beatles album follow in relation and all the rest of the songs on the Sinatra album follow in relation naturally, our ears have been, quote-unquote, normalized to that loudness of the loud songs on both of those albums. Now you play them out of context, and they're still feeling right at the same setting of your volume control. Yeah, so effectively, when you play, if, if there's a track in, say, that Beatles album, which is maybe 3, 4, LU, quieter than that loudest one, if we were to play that in a playlist, it would still be played 
at that three or four LU quieter, um, so effectively reflecting the out the artist's intent that that particular track shouldn't be played as loud as the loudest track relative to the loud songs in that playlist yeah. which have all been normalized to that minus 14 for example yeah. right okay wow well that's uh, and again i guess some of that is tied in with metadata because having because presumably that that sort of offset figure if you like uh, needs to be needs to be logged in in the metadata so that the system knows to play that track uh, quieter Right. So, now I'm yeah. going to tell you I'm going to tell you where the system breaks down. Let's take a classical music album with all harpsichord tracks. Yeah. And there's no loud song because harpsichords don't have any dynamics. Yeah. <laughs> the harpsichord is supposed to be played softly. Yeah. But the system will raise that harpsichord to minus 14 and it'll sound louder than uh, than Metallica. Yeah. So uh, there are issues. But if you have an album which has at least one loud song, and that song is meant to be played loudly, then the the album normalization works. Great. Well, that's uh, that's really good news because we again we're making sure that the artist's intent uh, makes it all the way to the consumer's ears. Um, well, we have to convince Spotify <laughs> and Apple that album normalization should also be on all the time, even in mixed playlists. And I hope we'll get there, but a lot of people need okay. to be educated on this concept. That's why I brought it up. Yeah, so it, it, again, it's another one of these uh, work-in-progress um, situations. Right. And, and Bob, you're, you're saying it needs to be the default. Is, is that right? All the time. Now, the only time that there's an exception is let's take a DJ show where they're playing the greatest hits of all time. And uh, one of them is Tracy Chapman, uh, Driving My Car, which is a nice folky kind of a song. Well, they that kind of a playlist, everything is supposed to be the same loudness, like, like a radio station. Yeah. So if it's a radio-style DJ show, uh, probably album normalization should not be in effect. Yeah, you you effectively allow the content creator to to set that uh, feel and then integrated loudness for the whole radio program, and that's it. Or if they're played back automatically, turn off album normalization and turn on track normalization for DJ yeah. style shows. Yeah. 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 That's that's what we've done, Bob. I don't know if, if you and I've actually talked about this, but. Uh, with the current, which is a, a alternative station um, at American Public Media, Minnesota Public Radio, uh, we actually took our entire music library. Which, because of the kind of music the current plays, it it features a very wide range of genres. I mean, one hour can have Sinatra in it, um, and then uh, Lizzo comes up, you know, a few songs later. Um, it very very wide range. Um, but we took that library and, uh, I don't know, eight years ago or so, um, we actually downwards normalized everything to neg 24. Um, and that, that had, that had some negative impacts, but that also had some very positive impacts in terms of, uh, automated playback, like you're talking about in those playlists. 
Um, and it made the DJ's job quite a bit easier. Um, mm -hmm. They find themselves leaving the fader for the music at Unity and not having to pump the fader all the way up because a song is beginning too quietly or it's, it's you know, Sinatra or acoustic music, uh, et, et cetera. Um, it's not perfect by any means. Um, and I'd probably go back and make some other decisions if we did it again now, but uh, it, I, I think it underscores your point about, about those DJ style playlists. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think uh, we will have to uh, pull up stumps on the conversation part of it at this point, and we've just got time to finish with our regular feature find of the week. RSPE Audio Solutions design, sell, and install professional audio and video equipment. Their team are available by phone, live chat, or email to receive and process orders. They have everything you need to build or upgrade your home studio to ensure you can continue to work from home. If there is anything they can do to help, reach out or shop online at rspeaudio.com. So um, let's start with you, Bob. What's your find? Uh, what have you chosen as your find of the week for this podcast? Well, it's a plug-in from a company called PSP, and um, it's their old-timer multiband. Uh, I find it to be a very sweet little three-band compressor that can be as subtle or as aggressive as you wish. Uh, you could use it to deal with splashy cymbals or just you can compress with very few artifacts because it, it's a three-band. Um, and you can make it be warm or transparent sounding. So that's my find of the week. Great. Uh, Rob, what about you? What's your find of the week? This was something I literally found this week. Uh, Accentizes Chameleon. It's a reverb modeling plugin. Um, I, I learned about it uh, thanks to someone in an audio forum asking about uh, reverbs for dialogue. Um, and this tool allows you to uh, basically feed it uh, a piece of content, so a piece of dialogue or any, any other kind of content you can use music to. Um, it analyzes the verb. Uh, and then creates that room, um, models that room, and now you have a reverb that that matches pretty closely. And um, repairing really tight dialogue edits uh, with <laughs> reverb is, yes, is a reverb, pretty common occurrence. Yes, reverb <laughs> replacement, I always used to call it. Yes, when you've had yep. to make an edit of, uh, or do do an edit, and which, of course, you then cut the reverb off. So, yeah, being it's, able to put yep. it back. Yeah. That's yep. very smart. I'm going to put yeah. this one down in my, yeah, my yeah. list. <laughs> And doing it by hand totally works, yeah. uh, but you you find that you end up spending you know many minutes trying to find the exact right room and then tweaking it. But yeah. th this, I've only done a few initial tests on this so far, but it's it's looking really nice. Excellent. Ah, oh, definitely will uh, make a note of that because yes, uh, I too, as you do, uh, Rob, work a lot in radio, and that uh, yes began to to, to fix those. Um, edits where you're having to cut dialogue that's been recorded in a, an, a reverberant space. Uh, very, very useful. And uh, my find of this week uh, is the new dynamic de-hum module that Isotope added to RX-9. That it's Because the old de-hum module was, was fine. It was a series of notch filters, which obviously had its challenges because it's got to notch out both the wanted audio and the unwanted hum. And there were only first eight harmonics and then 16. 
so he didn't often get the buzz but this is really clever because you can have up to a thousand and twenty four bands and the queue of each of these bands can be ridiculously tight and the good thing is that it's dynamic so it's looking at the audio level in each one of those very night very narrow bands and effectively just adjusting it accordingly and it is absolutely amazing in the way that you can take very buzzy audio not just you know 60 hertz home or 50 hertz home but to be able to take uh, really buzzy audio with lots of harmonics and to be able to completely clean it up. Very, very I was clever. A, I was a beta tester for RX-9, <clears throat> but I you... never got to the uh, <laughs> dynamic de-hum. Yeah. My, my favorite uh, debuzzer is the Sonox debuzzer. It's mm -hmm. extremely effective. So you should try to shoot out the, yeah. the isotope against the Sonox. Yeah. yeah, we'll have a look at that. Great. Well, Mike, yes. But, but before we wrap, could I ask you a question? Of course you can. Uh, it, I'm going to put you on the spot here, maybe just <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> what uh, what target are you uh, are you aiming for for this podcast? Okay, so this podcast. Yep, this podcast is uh, mixed to minus sixteen LUFS. Minus sixteen. That's where I've kind of sat. Uh, I didn't want to go as high as 14 for all the arguments that we've discussed about peak to loudness ratio. But no, this podcast sure. is produced and and all our video content, so YouTube tutorials, uh, our premium tutorial content uh, is all done to minus 16. And uh, did you do a shootout to minus 18 uh, ever? No, it was just it, it was a decision that I, uh, as the loud, Mr. Loudness here in our team, I kind of... <laughs> decided i didn't want to go up to sort of minus 11 minus 14 i thought no let's let's sit somewhere a little bit further down and so yeah i made a sort of choice that minus 16 will, would be where i would go um but obviously as we progressed the idea of having a little bit extra dynamic range um will would be very nice to have but yes that's where i'm at at the moment mm-hmm Okay, and on that note, uh, it's all we have time for this week. So thank you to my guests, Bob Katz and Rob Byers, for sharing their thoughts on all things loudness for streaming and on-demand services. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the Production Expert Podcast.